How you guys doing? Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Uh, am I mic'd? Am I mic'd? Yeah. All right. So uh, thanks for coming to the workshop. Uh, they, they said, you know, do you want to do a speech? And I said, well, yeah, because it's actually been almost a year since I've been out in front of a crowd because there's been protests and Antifa and all this kind of stuff. So there's been a lot of deplatforming. Uh, so I've kind of adapted. There's all a lot of suppression on YouTube of my channel and stuff like that. So I've kind of adapted by uh, going out into the world more, but I can't do speeches uh, other than for these kinds of tough guys because it's a lot of pushback. So I've actually uh, been doing documentaries. I went to Hong Kong not too long ago. I wanted to know what was going on there because it really does seem kind of fascinating. It's kind of real battle between free markets and socialism or communism. So we went, uh, I went out with the guy who made the movie Hoaxed. I don't know if you've ever seen Hoaxed, but uh, Mike Cernovich Productions is a really, really good movie. You can get it at hoaxedmovie.com. We went out to uh, Hong Kong. and Can I go forward and backwards just out of curiosity? Yeah? Okay. Um, I like to stay out of focus because it makes me look younger. So if I mess around with the autofocus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, so we went out to, to Hong Kong. We interview, I, I interviewed the guy who wrote their constitution, a bunch of politicians and business people and so on. Then we went down to a protest. Man, these are some tough guys down there because they're facing like these seriously fascistic Hong Kong police, which have a lot of influence from China. And uh, it's wild. You know, they, um, they try to create these makeshift barriers on the street. So they'll rip up stuff like the railings and so on. They'll rip it up. And as soon as someone starts doing that, called the umbrella movement, partly because umbrella keeps the tear gas at bay. And when someone starts ripping something up to fight against the incursion of the police military vehicles, a bunch of people go and open their umbrellas it's because there are security cameras everywhere. And this way they can't see who's doing it. And these guys are seriously brave, except it had actually the girliest implement I've ever seen. I was walking down towards where the police were with the, with the protesters and they had uh, little children's inflatable rafts. And I'm like... <laughs> As far as weapons of war goes, I've not seen that one. And said, no, it's a shield, right? Because you can, you can put tape on it and you can strap it to, so then when the bricks start flying, you've got at least some kind of shield, right? So we went right down to the end. And it's funny, have you guys been in big crowds when there's like a real something going on? It's like there's this collective consciousness. Like people just start, you know, those birds when they swarm and all of that, they're all kind of moving. There's this kind of like people suddenly start moving one way and nobody knows exactly why. And then there's another tide that goes We went right down to the end. And then they unleashed all the tear gas on the protesters. And that's anyone ever been tear gassed? It's a little later in my presentation, so you'll... <laughs> If, if you don't get emotional, I'll just tear gas you. <laughs> so look at the passion. Look at the passion in their faces. But yeah, sprinting with tear gas, I mean, it's really, it, you know, it gets your attention, right? And, and that, that is really quite, so we're still working on the documentary. It should be out sort of middle of next month. But uh, I hope to explain it before they get swallowed up by the Chinese juggernaut. But um, so going out and doing that kind of stuff is, is a lot of fun. But I sort of miss interacting with people about philosophy, right? So I do this call-in show I have for like 15 years. So when they said, do you want to do like a workshop? I'm like, hells yeah, because uh, if we can talk philosophy or how philosophy can help you, and it's not just me staring at a camera in a studio, I mean, eye contact and all of that, I mean, that's way better. Because it drives me crazy when I do all these calls and I don't want to put people on video because a lot of them are dealing with sort of very sensitive issues. 
So the idea of actually being able to see the people I'm talking to is like, absolutely, yeah. So these doors fortunately lock from the outside. So uh, you can't leave. Uh, that's just, you know, I appreciate you coming and I appreciate you staying, although the first was a choice, the second really isn't. So thank you uh, for all of that. But uh, so the way we can start is, you know, if there's something, I don't know if you've listened to my show before or know the kind of approach that I take, but it's, you know, philosophical and I'm not afraid of personal issues because to me, philosophy is something that should help you in your daily life. You know, it's great to talk about free will and how do you validate the senses and how do you know the nature of reality and are we living in a simulation? And That's great stuff. And I, you know, it's, it's a foundation, but does that really help you in your day-to-day -day life? Uh, and I don't know that it does hugely. I think it may have a big effect sort of long-term. So the way that I really like to work with philosophy is these kinds of principles should be able to help you in your day-to-day -day life. It's great to understand nutrition. You know, I know it, I'm at a men's conference when I'm at lunch and everyone's like, so what's your diet? What do you, what do you, okay, what do you bench and what's your diet? <laughs> but, you know, because, because we want the abstract principles not to be like masculinity and femininity, but also does it help you work out? Does it help you maintain your weight? Does it keep you healthy? It's the same thing with philosophy. Abstract principles are great, but it really can hit the rubber can hit the road in your life. And so if anybody has like a yearning burning, what we're going to do is uh, you guys are off camera because I said, it's all about me. No, <laughs> because, uh, you know, you want some privacy and all that. So your voice will be on, but uh, the camera will be on me. Uh, so if you have, or if anybody, hopefully you do, otherwise it's going to be two hours of me doing a, I don't know, a soft shoe routine or something, which you really don't want to see. But uh, if you have something that's going on in your life that you think philosophy might help with, uh, I will be happy to bring that to bear. But, uh, so I guess the first question is, does anybody have <laughs> questions? Uh, yeah, so why don't you take a mic? And we'll uh, we'll talk about it. <laughs> Do you have a joke you'd like to share with the entire class? Sorry, I'm just being I'm being my my third grade teacher, right? Did you bring enough gum for everyone? Yeah. What I want to do is smash my enemies, and I want like a philosophical background for me to enable to do that. Are any of your enemies in the room at the moment? Because we can cage match, yeah. like totally. <laughs> Fuck it, we can cage match. Grab a pen, stab like a bitch, man. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you wanted to. No worries. On, uh, first of all, thank you for coming. I've, I've watched your videos on and off throughout the years. So, yeah. Sorry, on and. On and off. No, I didn't get that sec off. I don't. <laughs> it just glitched for me there. It's like, okay, just yeah. <laughs> So, I, I think one of my questions or comments or rather two is um, just how philosophy and logic has at least. Me growing up wasn't really, um, especially in the edu education system where it's supposedly supposed to be given some form or another. It's it's not at least the way. Well, the opposite, really. Right. It's not non-philosophical. It's anti-philosophical. It's anti-philosophical, right? So, you know, I guess now that I'm a little older, I've started reading. Right. I've actually done a little more more work in that realm because I know that's a, that's one of my weaknesses. So can you recommend some, like, kind of like a guide or a roadmap that'll, um, you know, help me and as well as if I end up having a family and having the kids, you know, how to impart that? Because, I mean, for the foreseeable future, I don't see that going back to where... <laughs> no, we're not turning it around yeah. quite yet. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's a, great, a great question. So 
we could talk about the reasoning. I've got a whole series of free books on the, on the web, freedomain.com. The, the books are all, all free, except for The Art of the Argument, because uh, I wanted to get that on Amazon and Audible, and I had to charge for it. But uh, So I, I, I obviously I'd recommend my own books. You know, I mean, Plato's dialogues are, are fantastic for getting started with that stuff. Try and stay away from the Germans. They'll just pretzel your brain until you can't know which way is up. Um, but uh, uh, Nietzsche is great as a thought provoker. He's more of an aphorist. Like, so Nietzsche will say really, really cool things, like give a man a why and he can bear almost any how, right? If you have enough of a purpose, you'll find a way to get there. Is that philosophy? I'm not sure. It's fortune cookie stuff. It's thought provoking. Or he said, he said something I always remembered. He said, vanity is the fear of appearing original. It's kind of true, right? Because vain means that you want to look good to other people, but other people usually look at originality like it's some sort of airborne virus that's going to strip you of your testicles, right? So uh, vanity is so thought-provoking stuff, but not necessarily of great utility in your, in your daily life. Uh, so uh, Schopenhauer, well, I don't know if I'm a men's rights guy, I should recommend Schopenhauer for his view on women and so on, but Schopenhauer in terms of pessimism is very important because we all have to wrestle with nihilism. Right? We all have to wrestle with nihilism, particularly right after we realize just how much we've been fucking lied to in life. We all have to wrestle, you know, some people call it the red pill rage with regards to male-female issues, but with regards to truth, reason, and evidence, we get pretty pissed. And uh, reading people like Schopenhauer, who are more negative, can help you process that, although it's not where you want to stay. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not where you want to stay. Uh, it's like chemo, you know? Go to chemo. Stop going to chemo, right? And, and, and go and deal with the negativity and then find a way to move on. I'm a big fan of Ayn Rand, very digestible. Philosophy, very thought-provoking and an incredible writer. You know, all these cliches about, oh, you know, she couldn't do great characters and so on. It's like, dude, I mean, it's stylized. It's romanticism. It's not kitchen sink drama. It's not supposed to replicate life. It's supposed to give you something to aim for rather than uh, hold up a mirror to reality. It's like saying, you know, in Shakespeare, nobody's that poetic. It's like, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> Oh, the other thing, too, which really pisses me off, this is a total by-the-by, I'm sorry about this. <laughs> My whole life, you know, in, have you guys have read Fountainhead out or Shrugged in Hay? So in it, there is uh, some pretty rough sex scenes, right? Where the women are like, no, 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 fine, 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 no, 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 fine. And so, like, my whole time was like, oh, this is like rape culture, and there's the rapes in these movies, and this is terrible and terrible and terrible, and this is why no woman should ever read Ayn Rand. It's like, then along comes Fifty Shades of Grey, and I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> you get it, right? Because it's like, oh, this is like, and it's like, oh, what, did he just not have a helicopter? If Howard Rourke had a helicopter, he'd be fine? <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, so um, I think a lot of that stuff is really, really good to start with. As far as, for, for me, and I think mm, emotional motivation is more important than intellectual focus. Because if you have, this is, if you give a man a, a why, he can bear almost any how. Why do you focus? Well, for me, a lot of it had to do with real anger. Real anger at not just the human birthright, but more specifically the masculine birthright that I was stripped of because men are really, really good at arguing and debating and processing reality, right? Because we build the shield, the shelter of civilization, which keeps the women and the children uh, safe. You know, there's this old line from The Godfather where he says, uh, you know, Women, like men can't afford to make mistakes. Women and children can afford to make mistakes, but men can't. And there's, I think there's a sort of glean of truth in that. So if, for me, it was like, holy shit, I've really, really been lied to. And, and the, the greatest power and musculature of my intellect was not just atrophied, it was turned against me. 
I was supposed to argue against myself, against reality, against reason, against evidence, against facts. And so we are really castrated mentally in a very gynocentric educational system, right? I mean, uh, when I was a kid, uh, single mom, uh, daycare, female teachers, primary school, female teachers. I did go to boarding school, which was more masculine for a couple of years when I was six to eight. But, you know, for the most part, it's just like women, 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 authority, authority, authority. And I remember when people were first telling me about the patriarchy, it's like, how what now? <laughs> patriarchy? Like, I didn't know any real fathers around when I was growing up, and all the teachers were women in the daycare. I worked in a daycare when I was a teenager. It was all females except for me. So this whole patriarchy thing just seemed kind of crazy. So once you get angry, and anger is a really, really great emotion. <laughs> it gets really powerful. It's your body's immune system, right? Like, you, you know, AIDS is when your immune system doesn't recognize a foreign virus as far as I understand it. It doesn't fight back against it. And it's not AIDS that kills you. It's all the... So anger, male anger, has been demonized as something destructive. But it's not. You know, you get angry at cold, you, you build a house. Right? You get angry at having to walk everywhere, you build a road. You know, anger is very, very important and very healthy. It's just being demonized, like it's just destructive. But that's, that's rage. That's totally different, right? That's, that's very, very different. Like there's times when your body's immune system will attack yourself, right? And that's, that's rage, right? You want your body's immune system, you want it to be functional, so you can't be without anger. That's unhealthy. But you don't want it to attack yourself and your values. You, that's why the Schopenhauer stuff is kind of toxic. You don't want it to be rage, but you want that healthy anger so that you can push back against that which is trying to destroy you. Not to the point where you destroy yourself, obviously, that's the rage part, but that anger is really important once you realize how much has been robbed of you and how much has, you've been lied to. Um, we're pretty good at focused anger as men, and, and that gets us through to a destination, right? I mean, fuck the wolf who's trying to eat your family. Like, sorry, man, <laughs> you know, we're both mammals, but it's you or me, right? And so that, that anger, I think, is really important. Now, of course, again, when, when you say anger is good or whatever, people think you just sit in a bit of rage at a corner, you know, like meatloaf design, denied dessert or something. But it's not that, really. Sorry, just, that's an older reference for people. People think, why would a piece of food be allowed dessert? I just listened to Bad Out of Hell the other night while I was working on something. Dear God, I'm telling you, that music can beat the shit out of modern music. It really can. It's like a bike again hitting a tutu gang. Anyway, um, it's killer. It's killer. Just get into that music. I mean, that, that guy's childhood, too. Holy shit. Do you ever hear about the Meatloaf's childhood? Holy crap. So he grew up in the Texas, Texas kid, right? Not a small kid. His father beat him, like threw him through plate glass windows downstairs. And his father, Meatloaf's father, this will actually make sense in a sec, but Meatloaf's father uh, came at him with a uh, knife. And Meatloaf was a, a big boy, right? And, and put his father in hospital and then left barefoot in his mid-teens, left home. Um, and uh, yeah, he's had, some, he's had some challenges for sure, right? But um, that anger is really, really important. It's something that when you harness it, it gives you incredible propulsion. If, it, if it's absent from you, you're inert. If it's too present, like this Aristotelian mean is really, really important for men, more so, I think, than for women, right? So Aristotelian mean is you want something that's a balance between two, right? So what, what do you call an excess? of courage. Pride. Foolhardiness is more of the technical term, like, you know, fools rush in where angels fear to tread, right? So an excess of, 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 of courage is like, I'm going over the First World War trench into the German machine gun nest, right? You're, you're like Gallipoli down into nothing, right? And so an excess 
of, of courage is a, 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 is a vice. It's dangerous, right? And, and a deficiency of courage is called? Cowardice. Cowardice, right? In which case you don't take on necessary fights and you get people to walk all over you, right? So you don't want to be a bully, but you don't want to be a victim. You want to be assertive, not aggressive. And that is a tough balance to find. And this is something Aristotle said like 2,500 years ago. He said, any idiot can get angry. You know, any idiot. And we see this all the time, a road rage and, you know, people screaming at security guys. Anyone can get angry. To get angry at the right time, in the right proportion about the right issues and express it in the right way, that's hard. That's hard. And we have been taught to shy away from our anger because it's toxic masculinity and it's destructive and somehow it's going to make babies explode in the womb or something like that, which is more female narcissism and abortion. But anyway, so I think that the, to me the anger has been very, very healthy and very, very helpful and if we can really embrace that and use it for us, you know, what are borders around a country but boundaries in a relationship? And if you don't, because we've been so emasculated with regards to anger, our countries are open for the taking, which is catastrophic for us. So that, that's, I can tell you all the books and so on, but if you, like, you, you want to reclaim what was taken from you, like get angry at the people who took something from you and fight to get it back. It's like if somebody stole your father's wealth and you didn't get your inheritance, you'd be pretty mad and you'd fight to get it back, and you should. And that's the same thing with our reasoning and, and all of that. It's really been stripped from us. So. And that's to some degree because we have a whole education system that can't stand even the remotest moral scrutiny. You know, we have an educational system that's paid for by forced coercive taxes. And often in many countries, children are forced to go there or you're certainly forced to pay for it, even if you don't have kids or even if, like me, you homeschool. So we have an entire educational system based upon pointing guns at people to get what you want. And then we go to that educational system and they say, well, don't push anyone. <laughs> you, can't, you can't take stuff without permission. You've got to respect property rights. It's like, who pays your salary? <sighs> the gun. Yeah, so, I mean, it's so compromised that you can't even look at it without your brain. You know, it's like the mom, like they did this real-time study a couple of years ago. On, on they were trying to study how parents interacted with their children, and what they regularly heard was this. Over and over and over again, mom's hitting their kids for, you know, virtually nothing, right? For trying to turn the page too soon in a book and stuff like that, right? And that level of violence and, uh, is, is occurring all the time. And it's often moms, sometimes dads, of course. And they literally heard over and over again, don't hit. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. I mean, this, this, the kids look at that like, yeah, well, it's, 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 in, it's like it's an asylum. Yeah. It's an asylum, right? It's like some guy wiping his shit on the wall saying, shit should never be on walls. <laughs> like, this is an asylum. Like, where we live is an asylum. I mean, it's less of an asylum than it's been. Most of history is even worse of an asylum. Most of the world is even more of an asylum. But, you know, get, get mad at the people who lie to your face. And uh, I think that that's a big, big incentive for philosophy. All right. Yes, sir. Are we going to, you know, oh, yeah, we're going to pass it over. And we can do back and forth. You don't have to do one question. If you, you know, we can do back and forth. No problem. Stefan, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the philosophy of modern cancel culture. <laughs> two really kind of good perspectives. The first one is, I just think of what Google thinks of your name or... You know, the difference between your videos and how Wikipedia interprets your video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I would say for a lot of the folks that are, that are here at this conference, we are, for the most part, closeted red pill. 
Our family doesn't know a lot of these thoughts in many cases. Our friends don't. Our coworkers certainly cannot know how we feel about these things. Yeah, saying is the new gay. <laughs> so cancel culture is a dress rehearsal for mass murder. Now, be very clear. Cancel culture is a dress rehearsal for mass murder. They're seeing if people can be disappeared from social media. And if people accept people being disappeared from social media, then they will accept people being disappeared from the world. When communists get into power, when socialists get into power, they kill us. No kidding, no fooling, and our families are lucky to get away. Yeah, yeah, it's a great leap forward off a cliff. Cancel culture is a dress rehearsal for extermination. Yeah, listen, they call it character assassination because it's a rehearsal, right? It's a rehearsal. And the kind of lies that are told about me uh, in the mainstream media, in uh, Wikipedia and, and other places, are very specifically designed to get crazy people to target me in a violent manner. It's, it's an incitement to, to violence, right? Because they portray me as uh, such an evil person that's the old, would you shoot Hitler if you, as a baby, or whatever it is, right? So uh, yes, it is a sociopathic dress rehearsal for extermination. And it's very, very serious stuff because we want to push back while it's still in the form of language rather than wait until it's guys kicking in your door at 3 o'clock in the morning and, and everybody vanishing. So, yeah, cancel culture is, well, first of all, it's the opposite of culture. See, culture is when you disagree. Otherwise, it's a cult. It's just the first syllable, cult, not culture, right? So culture is when we disagree and we are allowed to disagree because that's what culture is. It's just conformity. Otherwise, it's just like ants in a row. It's nothing, right? So when you silence people you disagree with, that's the opposite of culture. That's stagnation. That's decay. And it, there's a murderousness to it. There's a murderousness to it. But they're changing the definition of the words. They're changing the definition of fascism. The fascism is to violently push someone back from not agreeing with them, but now they're changing it to of course, yeah, of course. So what, what they do, yeah, what they do is they, uh, they, will, um, they will charge up words with such negative connotations that when they then attach those words to people, it's like that laser painting for an airstrike, right? So, so that's, they, they want to charge up like words like racism, white nationalist, white supremacist, uh, uh, fascist, Nazi. They charge these words. And listen, some of these words have negative connotations for good reason and all that. But they charge these words up to the point where it overwhelms the mob's capacity for reason. And it, it, it creates such a level of hatred against those words that then when they attach those words to people, it's designed to call in violence, which is what I've sort of been facing, right? I mean, I can't it's, it's why it's nice to come out here with, with you lovely people because, you know, I go out to other places and, you know, people are attacking the venues. There are bomb threats, uh, death threats. Uh, they call 911. The police don't even show. I mean, this state of nature out there for, for free thinkers at the moment. So this is, this is a nice break from the studio. What do you do with them changing the definition of racism? I mean, I'm reading now things like in colleges that African-American students can't even comprehend that being biased towards Caucasians. 
<laughs> well, see, now race is very clearly defined when it's time for affirmative action. But when whites say, well, we're a race and we have race interests, well, who knows what being white is? It's like, I don't remember that confusion when the term white privilege was. Nobody said, well, you can't talk about white privilege because white is so undefined. It's like, no, white privilege, right? But uh, yeah, when then whites say, well, you know, we're our race and we may have particular considerations, particularly when, you know, there's lots of negative views of whites being pumped out there through the academia and so on. Suddenly white is this amorphous thing that you can't possibly define. You can see Jared Taylor gets hit with these kinds of things as well, right? I mean, as far as just you have to stand up and speak the truth, you know? I mean, the alternative to standing up is a disaster beyond what we can imagine. And understand, too, that the, so the word racism, it's largely invented and deployed by communists in order to sow divisions between the races, right? So we have people of different races here. We're going to have a pleasant and rational conversation, and I don't care about your race, and you shouldn't care about mine. It doesn't matter, right? But if people can come in and say, ah, well, you see, you have to hate me because of privilege, and I have to hate you because of this, and we have something, we don't have this in common, and we don't have that in common. If they can sow these kinds of divisions, they can create civil war, and they can say, hey, man, capitalism failed. <laughs> you know, which is like, you know, it's like, like poisoning your wife and saying, well, I guess she just didn't work out. Now, did she... <laughs> A couple of more crunches, she'd have been fine, right? Uh, so it's, you know, a multiracial society to me, you know, it's fine. But if a multiracial society is then has sows of hostility, hatred and division sown in, then we're doomed. We're doomed. And it's, you know, that's why I, I push back against this term. There are racists out there for sure, but it should be very sparingly applied. You know, this spray of everyone with racism, it devalues the word, which is an important word, because there are some people out there who are, are racist. Do you think, it, maybe this is, I see a correlation, but I'm not sure if it's a correlation. Um, I feel like at my generation, I'm in my mid-40s, I feel like I saw my grandparents' generation be, you know, outward racist, like that was the, that was the norm, and I feel like I watched that whole change during my, my growing up. We were taught not to be. We were taught to treat a man like a man. Mm -hmm. Whoever they are. Content of the character rather than the color of the skin. Absolutely, yeah. But now, we got to the point where I, maybe I'm naive, but that I thought most of that was gone. The, system, the systemic stuff where the corporations were doing it or the government was doing it. And now it's like all of that has just been erased and they're trying to tell us that it was that the Americans like it was So the analogy that I would use is imagine that you're a, an impressionable young man and you put yourself under the tutelage of some guru or mentor who says, I'm going to get rid of your muffin top, give you a nice six-pack, and, you know, you're going to work out and all that, right? And you're like, yeah, okay, I could, I could do that, right? So then he puts you on a diet, and, and, you know, you start working out and so on, and you lose the weight, and you get some definition and all that kind of stuff, right? But then the process keeps going. You've got to work out more. You've got to eat less to the point where your health becomes seriously compromised, right? So the bait is come and be healthy and be fit and get girls or whatever it is, right? Be the only guy on the planet who looks good in the banana hammock speedo or whatever, right? So that's the bait, but it goes too far and then it ends up compromising your health. So with the leftists, the, the goal of anti-racism was not to eliminate racism. 
The goal of anti-racism was to set the racists against each other. And we know that because that's what they keep doing. So it's like, oh yeah, you know, you'll get a six pack. It's like, no, you'll end up with your heart failing because you don't have any body fat left and you've got no cushion for your internal organs and you, you, know, you can't survive, right? Because the bait is, hey, you're gonna get healthy, but then you starve to death, right? So the goal is to kill you. <laughs> the bait is the abs, if that makes sense, right? So the goal is to set us against each other to the point where we end up hating each other and fighting each other. But the goal is, hey, we want, just wanna end racism. It's like, well, no, you don't because now there are huge numbers of hate crime hoaxes, right? Where someone says, oh, I was attacked for this, that, or the other. It turns out to be false. Um, now you have white privilege, white institutionalized, blah, 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 right? Even though Jews make more money than whites. Uh, nobody ever talks about that. East Asians, right, make more money than whites. Guys, uh, blacks from, from West Africa make more money per capita than whites when they come to the American, right? Very talented and smart people. Indians make a huge amount of money, but somehow it's all white privilege, right? So when racism has been diminished and you invent new racism, right? It's like saying, well, you know, you can pinch an inch. It's like, oh, now you can pinch a millimeter. Oh, now, you, you know, like you just, the goal is not to end racism. The goal is to inflame and exacerbate tensions to the point where we fight. Do you think the original motivation of the civil rights movements was to perpetuate uh, hatred of other groups. Because I, mean, I only know the propaganda. Yeah, yeah. They were very well-meaning people. And listen, who, who likes racism? Anybody? No, of course not, right? So there are well-meaning people who want to get rid of it for sure. But we know from the documentary evidence historically that it was in 1923 that the Communist International said we're going to inflame racial tensions, particularly in America, in order to destroy capitalism. That's, 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 that's not me, right? You can look it up. It's well documented. And so that, that, that was very much set in place. And what they did was they hooked into legitimate grievances of blacks in America, entirely legitimate grievances and, and injustices that the blacks had suffered historically, obviously slavery, Jim Crow, segregation, all that kind of stuff, all government programs, by the way. So they had legit, and legitimate grievances, like the guy says, oh, I'd like to lose a little weight. It's like, yeah, but I want to starve to death, right? Can we just find something in the middle, right? So I don't, you, you know, you can't mind read the motivations of everyone involved, and there were some people who wanted to do good things and, and did do good things, but the fundamental driver and why it hasn't stopped. And it's like feminism, right? Was the purpose of feminism for equality for women? Well, no, because the whole point, the whole problem with a government-funded revolution is it never knows when to stop. It can't stop, because if it stops, it loses its funding, right? So like if you have a, a charity that says, hey, we're going to go and eliminate polio, it's like, hey, I don't play that game with horses. No, no, the other one. Um, so, sorry, <laughs> nothing funnier than a good polio joke. But um, so if there's a, a place, oh, we want to get rid of polio, right? And then you give them a bunch of money and then they go, like, oh, we developed a vaccine, now polio's gone. What do you do? You stop paying them. You stop paying them because polio, hey, we solved, right? Like when you lose weight, you're supposed to stop at some point before you die, right? And it's the same thing with feminism, with, with anti-racism and so on. It's like, when, does the, when is the problem solved enough where we stop? Right, like they, what do they say about climate change? It's settled science. It's like, oh, well then we should stop funding it, right? It's settled. It's like we don't fund research into whether the world is, world is a sphere or not, right? I mean, that's settled science, right? We don't, oh, is gravity still working today? Let's test, right? So sometimes when like, sometimes Hispanic, and if I were to raise my voice to those people, right, saying, oh, you know, it's still not soft, and I raise my hand and say, no, hello, look at me. As a Hispanic gentleman, you're doing fine, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, like, okay, so how to how, how approach that? Like, how to make them 
I mean, I'm pretty sure they're not going to change their minds, but at least see if there's a, some kind of spark that can, a seed that can, that can put in their mind saying, well, well so there's, I mean, there's a contradictory argument put out by the leftists. And listen, I know I'm bagging a lot on leftists. I've got my criticisms of rightists, and everyone thinks I'm a conservative, but I'm not, right? Technically a market anarchist, but anyway. Um, so the, the leftists with regards to race relations and economics, they say two things that are very contradictory. Number one, the capitalists are just evil people driven to exploit and make money off everyone no matter what, right? That's number one. And number two, well, they just won't hire Hispanics or blacks or whatever, right? They just won't hire them because they're racist. It's like, well, can't have both, right? If you're just money hungry, then whoever you can profit from, you'll make money from, right? I mean, if, if women were so economically productive, and you could get a woman for 75 cents on the dollar, women should all just go hire women and, and kick everyone else's ass economically, right? But they, they don't do that, right? Because they're not dumb, right? Manipulative, perhaps, but not dumb. And so, so I mean, just you've got to point out now, for me, I don't know if you guys, let me know if you've had this moment where the wires cross, you have this, you know, like you've, you've, you've been told stuff all your life, and suddenly it's like, <laughs> You know, like the two wires which are never supposed to touch, you know, the internet is jamming them all together and, you know, and you're just like, that's where the spark of thought and life comes from, right? I mean, I remember with my own personal family history, I won't get into too many details if you've heard it before, but I remember when I was um, 12, my mother, my brother went one place, my mother went another place, and I stayed with a friend of mine's grandparents I didn't even know. And somebody said, well, why did your family split up? And I was like 20 when they asked this, right? So it's been like eight years. And I was like, I, I have no idea. Why did we all go different directions? Like and, and that was like the beginning of like, oh, you know, like, like that meme with the guy, right? That was the beginning of, of, so you get those wires to cross. Okay, if, if capitalists are evil people who want to profit, then why would they give up profits for the sake of racism? then they have considerations other than mere profit, in which case they can't just be profit motive, right? And so if men are so sexist and, and yet men want to just be capitalists to profit off everyone, then why don't they hire women to, to make more money if the women are so economic? So now some people, you can touch those wires, there's still no circuitry, right? Like nothing. They have this, they've developed this weird 1984 thing of like two simultaneous thoughts with no problem whatsoever, right? So what can you do with those guys? You can't. Right? Sorry, there's no wiring, you know, like that's like digging up somebody from the 18th century and saying CPR, <laughs> you know, he's gone, Jim, right? So, but some people, right, you, you cross those wires, there's a spark, right? And there's something like, whoa, that doesn't, that doesn't gel, right? Now those people, you're just, you're launching them on a lifelong journey. Like, that's a beautiful thing to do. And I had mine where it's just like, well, wait, right? So, yeah, that's my, yeah, go ahead. So on the same note as, Cancel culture. I think it's kind of a symptom or an example, if you will, of, of the Overton window phenomenon of moving the, and reframing the terms of whatever the debate is in a particular direction. And frankly, it's frog boiling in the water and doesn't know it's boiling yet. Uh, and another way that I think manifests in the political arena is, you know, Beto O'Rourke saying, "Yeah, we're gonna come take your AR-15." Did you see, sorry to interrupt, did you see the video of him getting his flu shot? I did not. Uh, well, he's got these, 
you know, like you take plasticine, pink plasticine, roll it like this, attach it, and that's what his arms look like. And so somebody says, looks like somebody took his guns already. <laughs> it's kind of funny, right? It's kind of funny. Wait, you guys laughing the most at a joke that isn't even mine? Okay, no, it's fine. <laughs> the point being it's, you know, cancel, whether it's that or cancel culture or extremism of candidates, it's like, what can we get away with today to inoculate people against what we really want to do tomorrow? So, do you have any insight into that that goes beyond that? Just say that we can call well, so the, the most censorship that we experience is horizontal, not vertical, right? I mean, I assume nobody here has been prosecuted for hate speech violations or anything like that, right? So, so why are we silent? Why are we silent? Well, outside of, you know, maybe professional repercussions or whatever, right? So why are we silent? You, you were saying that, you know, we hide, right? Our families don't even know, right? And why? Why do we hide? Because, see... Slavery, mental slavery, is not hierarchical. It's horizontal. It's horizontal, right? We keep each other down. We keep each other down. Like, this is part of my speech earlier about saying, like, the, the women won't have sex with you if you disagree with them. But that's a form of slavery, right? So you can't speak out, otherwise no, no V-bombs for you, right? So the question with courage has to do horizontally with our horizontal relationships, right? Because we're not usually threatened from above. Right? I mean, it, it, so, like, we're not usually, the, the, the police don't show up, you know, the, the, you, you're threatened horizontally, right? Which is why the reputational damage is considered to be where things are at. Like, that's why I show up on the front cover of the New York Times uh, as, as someone who radicalized. So I radicalized someone. See, because a guy listened to my show. He was unemployed. He had no girlfriend. He listened to my show. And he got a job. <laughs> And a girlfriend. Well, she was Christian, though. So that New York Times may not be a huge fan of that. So, so that, that's me, like, on the cover of the New York Times as radicalizing someone. You can go find it online. I wouldn't say it's kind of funny because I was a little like, hmm, New York Times. Yay, I've made it big. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, it didn't turn out to be too bad. There's a picture of me, Jordan Peterson, Lauren Southern, and um, Milton Friedman. No, because they, they took through this guy, they got his search history or his watch history, and these are all the people that, you know, so there's me next to Milton Friedman, who's kind of a hero of mine, and it's like, all right, I'll take the free advertising. Yeah, put me next to a Nobel Prize winning economist. <laughs> Fine, I'll, I'll live with it. So, yeah, so the character assassination is designed to, obviously, to make you unhirable, and, 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 and so the economic stuff is a different matter. But the question is the family table, family dinner table, right? The family dinner table. What are our relationships composed of? Are they composed of our presence or our absence? Are they composed of ourselves or our conformity? Now, for myself, I cannot have relationships where I can't be myself. Because they're not relationships. They're not. Situationships is a better... Yeah, proximity, accidental biological cage, whatever you want to call it, right? So it's just... If I have to silence myself in order to be in a relationship with someone, and listen, I'm not saying this is some big virtue and I'm, you know, I stand alone and, you know, Howard Rourke. Everybody has their own comfort levels, and so this is a, it's a complicated question, right? Because there are consequences, and I, of course, am a public figure who is already out, so to speak, in terms of what it is I believe, so, like, what else can they do to me, right? 
Like now they okay, I'm, I'm a Nazi, white supremacist, whatever, whatever, right? All of it false, completely false. But okay, what else are they going to say now, right? I mean, they, they, there's nothing left in their chamber except real bullets, which we're all working to avoid by committing to, to freedom. So when it comes to what can you do, I don't look at the big picture stuff that much. You know, like I'd love to end the Fed. I think the Federal Reserve is, is catastrophic. Am I going to be able to do it? Well, no, right? I mean, I would love to end uh, uh, this constant imperialism that the American empire is, is engaged in. I'd love to end these useless Israel proximate desert sand wars of ultimate futility and destruction. I'd love to end uh, all of this massive transfer of wealth from poor people in rich countries to rich people in poor countries that masquerades as foreign aid. I'd love to get rid of corporate subsidies. I'd love to get rid of the tax code. I'd love to get rid of the whole damn mess. But I can't, right? I mean, I can engage with people. And, and this is where you have to make that choice. And whatever choice you make, see, I always say this in my show, I don't care what choice you make as long as it's conscious. Right? So if you say, I'm going to stay in a marriage for the sake of the kids. Okay. I, I can't tell you whether you should or should. It's your life, right? But as long as it's conscious, as long as it's conscious, as long as you've made a choice, I will accept your choice. So is it conscious for you guys that there, you have relationships where you can't be yourself? where you bite your tongue, where you chew the honesty of your soul into nothing, just to be there. Now, you can say, okay, I gotta provide for my family, this is a job, I'm hired by a bunch of leftists, I'm gonna shut up at work. Okay, fine, yeah, I'm not gonna say, oh, you coward, you should go and live under a bridge for your principles, right? I don't know, I'm not living under a bridge for my principles, so I'm not gonna tell that to you. But as long as it's conscious and you say, I'm going into this and I'm gonna shut the hell up and I'm not gonna wear that hat, <laughs> or that hat, or that hat, or this hat, and, uh, you know, I'm going to pretend that uh, Hillary Clinton is Queen Bertuccia of reason and evidence? Fine. Right? <laughs> Fine. I'm going to pretend that drag queen shows for kids in public libraries where they stuff money into rather hairy corsets? Totally fine. Like, whatever, like, just be conscious of it, right? Now, I think once you're conscious of it, it changes the way that you approach things. As the observer, even just looking at your life differently from a different place of consciousness, you can't be the same, and the things and people you interact with are not the same whether you wish it so or not. Right. I mean, what's the best way to get men to do something is to tell them that they can't. Right? We all that way. It's all forbidden fruit. It's all grass is greener, right? So when you say to yourself in a relationship, I can't be honest, what does part of you say? <laughs> Fuck that. I'd be more honest, right? You thought I was going to meet you halfway? No, no, no. Now that I know, I'm going the whole hug. It could be, right? Or you could, again, decide to be. It's kind of humiliating to bite your tongue, isn't it? You know, we have the right of free speech, and it's kind of, it, doesn't it feel a little like, eh. Sorry? Well, no, no, because if you're telling your truth, this is what I'm saying, just tell the truth to yourself and say, I choose in this situation to not tell the truth I know to be essential, right? Now, if you say that, there's situations where you can do that, for sure, right? You know, uh, some tax collector comes to my door, I'm not going to tell them that taxation is theft. <laughs> you know, there's reasonable, <laughs> you know, pick your battles, reasonable, I understand all of that, right? But in your personal relationships, can you tell the truth? And, you know, it can be a political truth, it can be a personal truth. Right? It can be an emotional truth. Right? It can be you, my dear uncle, 
tell the same stories all the time, you got to mix it up. Like, seriously, this is, and you said it sounds like baby steps. That's important stuff. So does anyone have, like, one of these where it's like you're, you're biting your tongue, you look like you're the aforementioned meatloaf running up stairs? Or? Okay, do you want to get a, yeah, what do you there? Yeah, yeah. And listen, you guys talk more if you want. I mean, seriously, you can watch this on video. So, like, let's engage, right? Yeah, when I was doing my professional oral exam to become a psychologist, there's a, a panel of three women in front of me, and I uh, decided to be myself and you know, speak my truth, and they didn't pass me. And, uh, yeah. That's harsh. Some raging moments, I would say. What was it, do you think? What did you say that they found objectionable? Well, 40 minute interview, right? So. I, I went this whole thing like, yeah, I, gotta, I just got to learn this, this one language for 40 minutes and then I'm starting through. And then my supervisor was like, no, man, just be yourself. So, you know, I talked about how I work with men, um, you know, and... Uh, so you work with the enemy, yeah, what else? <laughs> <laughs> Collaborator, Vichy. Uh, assertiveness, uh, like, you know, a, a, lot, a lot of these things that, you know, that people need. And uh, they basically said, like, you know, this, this is uh, an interview, what's they call it, just on the counselor, and put me down. And, so I, I left hanging my head, and I haven't gone back since to uh, redo it because... How long ago was that? Um, that was in March or April. Right. Now, of course, it's a lot of education to get to that room, right? It's the last thing you have to do. It's the last thing. So you've, you've, got, uh, you've had a mentor, you've done gra undergraduate, graduate work, right, right. And that's a tough call, right? Because, you know, do you want to be in a club where that's the entrance? Or on the other hand, you just bite your tongue, get through that entrance and do your thing. Yeah. Well, I, you know, here's, here's my answer to that, which may be clarifying, maybe not. I did go through it. Yeah, I, I, spent, I spent couples counseling debating the, the male counselor that there was a biological difference between men and women. Like, you were debating that with a male counselor? I was paying, I was paying $350 an hour debating him. <laughs> So the answer to that is 350 bucks an hour. <laughs> that's the answer. I don't fuck the rest of it. That's the answer. Sometimes you gotta bite the bullet. If you want to be a part of the game, you know, like any business, you don't tell the guy you're interviewing with that he's an ass and you think his company sucks. But if you know that there's teams in there that you can work with and be functional yourself, maybe it's worth it. That's if you know there's ways that you can create within that. Well, what I like to know is that my clients will get coverage, and I, and I, and I like that they will. So, so the, yeah, the, the question, if you make it a personal decision, it's almost unresolvable because you're split, right? I mean, you, you're ambivalent, right? It's a more technical phrase. And it doesn't affect my job, really. I mean, I can keep going with this, but... But, so my answer would be, but, but once you get the designation, then you can accept the insurance money, well, right? Not a designation, it's just provisionals attached onto it, so... I don't want to lose that, but uh, I can keep going like this forever, and, and I would be fine. Right. It's, it's more of an internal struggle. It's like, well, no, but you might want to get it in case they change the rules. Well, at that point, I would have to, yeah. Well, yeah. So let, let's say that there's some advantage to it, because if there's no advantage to it, then it doesn't matter, right? So if there is some advantage to it, the question for, and this is my sort of personal struggle, which I have every day, the question is, the men you can help or the women you can help on the other side of that, what do they want? What's best for them? Because you make it about you, you can go back and forth like ping pong with yourself forever, right? But if it's about, okay, what's best for the people on the other side of that room? Now, I think that like there may be... The people that are interviewing No, the people who you're going to help, the clients you're going to have down the road. Now, maybe some of them... Yeah, what's, what's best for them? Now, what's best for them, I think, is that you get this designation. That's right. Right? That's why I stayed in. 
Yeah, so if it's not, like if it's just about you, then it's, right? So for me, okay, so I walk the line on a lot of topics and so on, like I could go further and so on, but what's best for the world is that I continue to have a voice out in the world, right? So that's how I kind of make, if it's just about what do I want to talk about, it's like, what's best for the world, what's best for the people who donate to me, and how do I use their funds and so on, right? So if there's people that you can help on the other side of that, because of that, right. then it's worth doing. Yeah, and that's, and that's, where, it, that's where it landed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I appreciate that. But yeah, are you, are you practicing on your own or are you practicing? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the program. You know, private practice? Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, because sometimes licensing or getting the experience when you're in the group is necessary in order to give yourself the freedom moving on. Because I worked for some big corporations, I didn't like everything, but I learned a ton how it worked, and then I used all that later on to run my own business create my own freedom right. and do what I want to do. Right. I don't answer anybody. Right. And that's what I've done. It's, it's just, there's a governing body, right? And so it's that the license. Yeah. But it does help the people I work with at the same time. So we may have to learn the language for 40 minutes one day. No. And, and it's, not, it's not submission to them. It's support of those you help on the other side. Right, because as men, we don't like, as I think women feel this way too, we don't like to submit to politically correct language, we don't like to bite our tongues, we don't like, because that's not us, right? That's not why we have a civilization. And in a sense, you can say they've made it ridiculously easy to walk through that room because you know exactly what to say. So it's like, okay, you know, it's like for me, I don't like taxation, so I just have to live like I'm not really good with my money. Because I just, you know... I lose 40% or whatever, right? It's like, ah, let's just pretend I have a gambling habit. Let's pretend I got a Coke habit or, you know, I'm, I'm into like really expensive hookers or something like that, right? So just pay them and then just live, with, like, live like they're not there, right? And, and so, you know, I write my check and move on, right? Yeah, I was curious about patients trying to find someone that was red pill. You know, like after they wrote, between the fact the AMA came out with that total anti-male Oh, yeah. oh yeah. Productions for all psychologists. I've had therapists throughout like different parts of my life in different shops, and I went through terrible couples therapy, tailing my tailing my marriage where there was no accountability allowed inside of all mine. And I found someone who could help me a couple of states away. It's been very helpful. Yeah. But I can't get any insurance to pay for it. I can't even deduct it on my taxes because it's not technically a you know therapy because it's not practicing the license. You might actually give some men some hope. How many men are younger than me and don't make any money and have to go through their insurance to get counseling? That's what, that's what I'm saying. You know, yeah. it's like, I'm actually from Canada as well. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And, um, and I've been able to you know, continue to run the men's groups and things like that. So it's been, it's been, it's been good. You're right. I have been able to reach people I wouldn't otherwise reach. And it's usually the ones that the, often the ones that most of you probably didn't have someone yeah. giving them the hope to get on their own. Yeah. To have a certain level of freedom, especially in the socialized, yeah. net, social net, socialized culture, you have to have what they don't want you to have, which is money. It's you know, discrimination. I'm going to change the topic. So i got a question for you. Yep. Uh, if you study John, like J.D. Unwin and I think Sir John Gulub, right? they do a lot of historical analysis on empires and society and civilizations. The last second I know, not the first. Okay. Uh, I think J.D. Unwin did on sex and culture. Uh-huh. It's actually a little bit more profound. I need to finish the book immediately. But, uh, Essentially, what the analysis says is empires tend towards destruction, right? We kind of basically die in our own uh, excess. Like, you know, victory has defeated you, quote, bang, right? And that we, as a species, never bounce back from that. So my question is, philosophy, I think, is very useful uh, from a society and culture perspective. 
but is trying to come up with a good philosophy to help save Western civilization, like telling the fat person who's got stage four cancer, like, hey, stop putting down the, the hamburger, right? One, you like to, you need to go into major surgery, you need to put the cat, remove the cancerous cells, you need to overhaul everything. The other one is, I don't, I don't know what the parallel is, if you will, for society. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question, and we can't stop the crisis. It's too late for that, right? We were talking about this at lunch. Every human being on this planet is, survives only because they're $30,000 per capita in debt, right? We, we've thrown this crazy life accelerant of infinite debt into the human world, and we have a massive population because of debt. And this is incredibly cruel because it's unsustainable, right? So when the money runs out, when the money printing runs out, when the interest rates end up having to go up, when the checks can't be sent, when the, like eventually you can do a whole bunch of tricks. You know, is it Hemingway? Ask some rich guy, or there's some story involving Hemingway. Some guy who was super rich ended up bankrupt, and he said, how did you go bankrupt? You were so wealthy. He said, really, really slowly. And then, <laughs> and then really fast. Because it does. So you can, right, you can juggle shit forever, right? And, well, not forever, but you can right, keep the plate spinning for a long time and then boom, like Rome, right? I mean, they kept it going for hundreds of years, debasing the currency, mass immigration, giant welfare state. <laughs> Almost like there's a lesson or two there. But, um, but eventually they, they couldn't jam any more garbage into their coins. They couldn't debase the currency anymore. They couldn't tax anyone anymore because all the young men were moving out of the cities because they didn't want to be drafted. So then they had a whole bunch of mercenaries that they were paying and they didn't have any coin to pay them or the mercenaries wouldn't take their coin because it was trash and they just came to Rome and sacked it. Rome went from a population of a million, two million to 17,000 in one year. And then you got dark ages, so-called dark ages, largely to do with Muslim predation upon Europe, but that's a topic for another time. So it, 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 it happens. It, it absolutely happens. That which mathematically cannot continue will not continue. And we, it's too late. Right? There's no soft landing. Um, certainly Trump was an attempt to get people from the receiving end of taxes to the paying end of taxes, right? That was the goal. And, and that's been significantly successful, right? Black unemployment, Hispanic unemployment, record lows, millions of people off food stamps, millions of people off welfare to paying taxes, which is what the Democrats hate. Because, of course, if you're paying taxes, you want taxes to go down. If you're receiving taxes, you're fine with them going up because you don't pay them. And... Right? It's good for you, right? Half of Canadians don't pay any federal taxes. Yeah, yeah same, same thing. Right? So you got half of people, it's not the whole story, but half of people living off the other half of people. So the whole point of Trump was to herd people from the takers to the makers. Because that's, right? But the problem is they just keep importing more takers, right? Open borders, mass migration, just keep importing more takers, right? Immigrants in America, 74% of them are on welfare, right? So you know, you, 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 there's no point bailing out a a boat if there's like waves crashing down on the other side, right? I mean, I guess it helps a little, but... So uh, Trump, un unless he does something wild with his second term, right? Because he might say, hey man, first term, dress rehearsal. Second term, alligators, flame pits and mines along the border and mass <laughs> deportations and like, who knows, right? This could be like extreme sports down, down south or, or, or with Princess Sockhead up north, maybe he'll do it both sides of the, uh, of the aisle, but... Um, <laughs> So it, but I think it's in general, it's, sorry? You can come over my ranch. <coughs> yeah, yeah, might be the case, I'll tunnel. But um, so I, I think the soft landing, Trump was the hope for the soft landing. The hope for the soft landing is, I mean, Brexit was another hope for soft landing that Brexit could be used. It sounds like I'm describing a woman, it's just, that's England with borders. Um, 
England uh, woman these days would be like this. <laughs> anyway, um, so this, the soft landing thing is, is, is a goal, but it's, who knows, right? But um, so the, the purpose of philosophy is, in this case, is not to prevent the crash, which I don't think it, it can't do. It can't do. It's just been too many unfunded liabilities, too big, right? But what it can do and what matters is it doesn't, I mean, if you're going to crash, it really matters which way you bounce. Right, that, that's where philosophy matters, right? So if you crash, right, the, the totalitarians love to exploit a crisis because everyone's panicked and freaked out and looks for the strong man or the strong woman or whatever, strong man, let's face it. And if you bounce towards totalitarianism, right, which is what happened, Weimar Republic uh, and so on, or, or yeah. right, what happened with the Tsarists uh, in Russia and, and what happened in the Khmer Rouge and in China and so on, right? You bounce to totalitarianism, you get 100 million dead. Well, more now, because like it's the whole world. But if you bounce to freedom, if you bounce to smaller government, if you bounce to free markets, because it's, it matters what you think caused it, right? So if people say, well, free markets have failed, so we have to bounce towards price controls, government controls, fascism, communism, government control of the economy, then you go Venezuela, right? And then you go Khmer Rouge. Sorry? They're winning that dialogue now by having all these crazy Democrats running. They're just trying to make you used to it. Well, I don't know that they're winning. Because the crazy Democrats running, I think, is helping. Yeah. I don't think they're going to win the election, but I think they're softening people's tone up so the next one, the next one. All, no, all they're hoping to do, look, they don't care about the election because all they're hoping to do is keep the demographic replacement going to the point where no Republican can ever, can ever be elected again. Right, that, that's the goal, right? That's just all they need to do is, is they're winning with the demographic stuff is, is happening, right? I mean, 70% of Hispanics are going to vote for the left. Black community is going to vote for the left. So they're getting all of those people in. Muslims vote heavily left. So they get all the people come in to vote for the left. And so, but I think the people are freaked out by these crazy Democrats. And they're like, holy shit, this is what we have in our society? Oh, my God. You know, if there's, you know, that terrifying meme that keeps you up at night sometimes, like if only you knew how bad things really were. <laughs> like we had, the, the, the Democrats had kind of like a, a cover, right? Like, I mean, so Joe Biden is like this doddering, corrupt oligarch who, like, you know, rapes Ukraine for fun and profit, right? But he's like presentable-ish, right? Obama, you know, very smooth, charismatic, presentable guy, and all that. But I mean, this new crop, I mean, <laughs> straight up nuts, They're straight up, like screaming nuts, right? And you know, like, like AOC with her ninety-four billion. <laughs> So I can't even say without laughing, $94 billion Green New Deal, and a trillion, $94 trillion, right? I mean, the, the American economy is only $15 trillion. I mean, come on. I mean, this is, it's, it's lunatic, but at least she's dispelling the notion that women are bad at math. Um, <laughs> or, or, or Andrew, there's another, right? Andrew Young. Oh, Asians are really great at math. It's like 1000 bucks a month. Come on. So I, I th it may, may help that way. So it matters which way we bounce. It, you know, if you diagnose wrong, things get worse. If you diagnose right, things get better, right? And so, you know, if, if you've got some beloved uncle who dies of lung cancer, and then people believe that if only he'd smoked more, everything would be fine, well, you can't prevent him from dying, but you can prevent the message from spreading, right? So if people say, well, no, it was the smoking that killed him, so let's not smoke, it's the lack of freedoms that are killing us, right? It's the government control of everything. A third of Americans need a license to even have a damn job. It's crazy, right? I mean, the massive amounts of student debt uh, and, uh, uh, well, I mean, Trump has been repealing a lot of regulations too, and that's kind of soft benefit that's hard to track, but is incredible in its effects on the economy, right? 
So it matters which way we bounce. And if you talk about, repeatedly talk about, it's compulsion that has failed, not freedom. It's coercion that has failed, not markets. Right? It's the lash that has failed, not the liberties. And it's the further that America has drifted from its founding principles of small government and free markets. That is the cause of the failure. Because if they diagnose it wrong, you just add bodies. And if you diagnose it right, you can save everything. That pattern has been repeated throughout history over and over and over again. Like how many hundred million people more need to die before we figure that out? I'm not teaching anybody that though. Nobody knows that. Nobody knows that. Nobody knows that. Hold up, hold up. I had to go to eBay and find a used copy of J.D. Unwin's On Sex and Culture, where he talks about that because you can't find it on Amazon, you can't find it anywhere else. Like a lot of this stuff, like, Fun, you know, fun fact that it's banned on Amazon is probably still not a thing, right? So, spoiler alert. Uh, but like that's to your point, at both of your points really, the information's out there, but if you don't know how to find it, it's, a, it's essentially gone. Well, and, and the media, because it's so heavily infested with leftists, the media has created this infinite boogeyman of incipient Nazism, right? The Nazis are everywhere, right? It's not, not it's like maybe 2,000 genuine Nazis in America, right? And that they're, you know, buck-toothed neckbeards in the middle of nowhere, right? But they're trotted out, right? Oh, right? There are tens of thousands of Marxists teaching in American universities, right? Which tells you who won the fucking Cold War or who won the Second World War, frankly. It wasn't America. It was Russia. And the fact that they focus on irrelevant Nazis rather than the prevalent Marxists who are indoctrinating the young and lying to the young about the value of this education and putting the young into debt and blah, 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 right? So then the young people come out hating capitalism, hating bosses, heavily in debt and feeling like indentured servitudes, indentured serfs, which they kind of are. So then, and I could, when I was hiring people, like back when I ran a software company, I was chief technical officer, I hired people all the time. You could tell the leftists because they came in and they were like, I guess I could be a wage slave for a little while. You know, well, whatever, you know, but it's the attitude, right? No, it's, it's the attitude, you know, like they just, they didn't like being there. It's like, you know, it was like taking a seven-year-old kid to the dentist, right? They'll go, but, you know, they don't want to be there. You know, they would like to get out as quickly as possible, and hopefully there's a chest of toys on the way out, right? So you could tell with the people who were like free market guys, they were like, man, I want to come in. I want to get my skills up. I want to be mentored. And I had these guys who would come with me on sales tours and so on and, and learn how to talk to clients and negotiate contracts. They loved that stuff, right? Whereas the socialists were like, I shouldn't have to do any of this. Like, socialist unicorns should be shitting my manna from the skies. I should just have to do this for all the food I need, right? Because it's not, not in reality. So they, they, the kids come out of school, and because they're shitty employees, they get shitty managers. Because good managers don't want to work with shitty employees, right? Because everyone's like, oh, my, my first boss was terrible. Well, of course he was terrible. Because the good bosses get moved up to more complicated things, right? So, yeah, they end up with this resentment. They never break out of it. And then they say, well, you can't get ahead in the free market. It's like, well, because you hate it, you know? <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, I hate redheaded people. You know, redheaded people never seem to like me. What's that old saying? Like, if you, meet, if you meet an asshole in the morning, you probably just met an asshole in the morning. But if you meet assholes all day, it's you. <laughs> You're the asshole. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh, you mentioned the Weimar Republic. Do, do you kind of see any parallels about the way things are right now with... It just anything goes and blah, 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 and the Fed is just printing money like crazy. Like yeah, so that's, yeah. Parallel to the Weimar Republic and then... There's, it's a complicated topic. So 
uh, Europe, European history arose out of uh, scarcity and cold. And this is even more true for East Asian history, like what used to be called the Orientals until they wanted to blend Indians in and Muslims in with it. So in, in Siberia, for instance, like the, you know, the winters are unbelievably brutal, which is where the, the Japanese and the Chinese came from, right? The, the whites had to deal with Northern Europe and so on, uh, and, and Western Europe, again, very, very cold. So you gotta plan ahead, right? Scarcity is, is a huge issue. And so basically the people who didn't plan ahead didn't make it. Right, because you've got to be pretty cold-hearted when you've only got enough food for your own family and it's four months till spring and your neighbor comes over and says, man, my kids are hungry. And you're like, like, I'm sorry, man. I got a lot of compassion, but, you know, if I got to choose between your kids and my kids, like, sorry, it's just the way it is, right? So we grew up, and I'm sorry to include the we, like, you know, we're all white Europeans or whatever, but in general, we, the white Europeans grew up with um, the scarcity problem, right? And so hoarding resources, not getting into debt and, and you know, not spending and, and all of that. It's kind of like the Protestant work ethic, this kind of stuff, right? Now in the tropics, a very different matter, right? In the tropics, there are two things that you can't do a huge amount about, right? So the first is disease, right? Because in cold climates, right, the, 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 the viruses all die off in the winter and you don't have as many viruses. But in the tropics, you don't, right? So, but you can't do anything about it, right? Now you can, but you know, back in sort of evolutionary days, you, you couldn't. And then there's like war and predation, which you can't do a huge amount about. Winter, you can do something about, right? You can stock and plan and build your, get your firewood and your house and all that. So we have a culture based on scarcity combined with a monetary system based on infinite resources, right? Debt, money printing, money creation. Now that's weird because our culture is we gotta be careful because we're gonna run out of shit. But we've got this tax and spend and create money stuff that creates a sense of weird, infinite tropical abundance in a scarcity culture. And it's weird and it's, it's, it's unhealthy for everyone in the long run because nothing's infinite, everything is limited. All resources are finite, all human desires are infinite, but all resources are finite. So when you get fiat currency, when you get money printing, it begins to dissolve our sense of reality. Like, and it, this sounds like very abstract, but it's very real because you see after money printing came in, right? It was basically the first world war. That's why I said earlier, it was a huge disaster. The first world war brought money printing and central banking and fiat currency into the West, right? Before that, you had to have gold to have money and you can't just snap gold into existence. You gotta go mine for that shit, right? So you get all of this infinite money. And then after that, you start to get this hey man, reality isn't real. The logic is just a, a, a white privilege concept and, and there's no such thing as truth. And it's like, but you can only afford that stuff when you can print money. Because then you have this sense of infinite resources and then the weird thing happens. So let's say, you know, we're in some, I don't know, some tropical paradise. I don't know where some tropical paradise is not as lonely as Hawaii, which is like a really weird, nothing for thousands of miles, right? So I don't know, Tahiti or something like that. I see in Tahiti, right? Tahiti is like food's falling off the trees, fish are jumping into your nets and stuff like that, right? So let's say you and I are friends, right? And you hurt your leg, right? And you're like, hey man, I, I can't fish. Can you go get me some fish, right? Could you just go pick me up that banana? And I say, no. <laughs> it's like worst friend ever, right? Right? So, cause it's like, it's right here. It's right here. It's just, so if I don't give you something when you're in need and everything's plentiful, I'm an asshole, right? But that's not how it is in a cold climate, right? As we talked before, if you come and you say, hey, I grasshoppered my summer away playing Van Morrison songs on my ukulele, right? <laughs> While you were out there, you know, busting your ass getting crops and firewood and shit, right? 
and you come to me and say, give me food out of your children's mouths, I'm like, then I mean to my children if I say yes to you. So tropicality, like the abundance of resources, if you say no to someone, you're an asshole. But in a scarcity culture, in a cold winter culture, you have to say no to people. So when you've got fiat currency and, and magic money, and someone comes and says, well, you know, I think we should spend money on the poor children, right? Well, that's like bananas lying everywhere. There's a child hungry. Can you just hand that child a banana? No, <laughs> right? Well, the only reason you do that is you hate the child, right? Or you want the child to die. You're a psycho. You're mean or something like that, right? So the massive spigot of fake money is dissolving our sense of reality and it's turning everything into an emotional argument. Well, why would you say no? Why, would you, why wouldn't you want to give health care to everyone for free? There are bananas everywhere. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe you can put some, you need medicine up your ass, you can use a banana, right? But for the most part, it's not going to be hugely helpful, right? So when scarcity culture catches up with the illusion of infinite money, oh, right? But right now, free health care for everyone and you say no, well, because there's this weird perception that resources are infinite, why would you say no? You must hate poor people. Or you must hate sick people or, or whatever, right? Why would you leave Syria? What do you mean? Why, uh, why would you leave Syria? Because, uh, you know, the, the Kurds are our you know, greatest, you know... Greatest oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. I thought, so I thought you meant personally. Like, yeah. why would you leave Syria? <laughs> We're in Orlando. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. So, so human, yeah. Resources are infinite. So, why wouldn't you want to fight every, you know, sand cake local tribal conflict in the middle of a desert everywhere? Resources are infinite. Can I, can I touch on that? Yeah, yeah. So, having served, right? Uh, it's very easy, in my opinion, for people to say, "Hey, yeah, we should stay in Syria. Yeah, well, fuck it, let's just go here." And I'm like, I gotta go there. Like, are we doing this for real, right? Yes. So, the other thing too, I've noticed that extrapolates and this kind of get the banana thing. So say his leg's broken, he asks, hey, can you give me a banana? And yeah. you go, hey, sure, you point to me, get the fucking banana. Now you feel like a good person, but I'm the one doing the work. I think that's another we have a title. We have a title for the conversation. Get the fucking banana. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, so, and that's, look, you're, that's very serious shit for you, right? Now, the other thing, which is kind of real, too, is, oh, do you want, you want people to stay in Syria? Okay, uh, you need to write a check. Right? Because it doesn't cost anyone. To have these opinions is free. Yeah. Right? Have you seen this, this video? It's really wild. I, I, I think it's in Sweden. So a, a guy comes up on the street to Swedish people, white people, and says, uh, do you think that we should be taking more refugees? Yes, of course. I'm a good person. I virtue signal. It costs me nothing. Right? So then what does he say? He says, oh, great. Just wait here. Mohammed. <laughs> Come here, this person is, is going to be happy to put you up in their home. Because, should and then what happens? <laughs> See, no, but that's, that's infinite resources versus scarcity culture. Right? The infinite resources is, sure, in the abstract, when I, right? it's like the war on drugs, right? You, you want drugs to be banned? Oh, it's going to cost you this much. Ooh, maybe I can be tolerant, right? Oh, whatever, right? So, this, so the Weimar thing, there's lots of philosophical ramifications, but if you stick to reason, evidence, and scarcity, when people's, are perception, people's perceptions are that everything is infinite, you're viewed as a jerk and an asshole. Why would you say no to free healthcare for everyone? Because it's not free. Well, we know that, but it, but it seems free. No, because listen, they're gonna sign that bill, 
amnesty or free health care, and no one's going to get a bill immediately. Right? It's going to be debt. It's going to be down the road. The next generation, who knows? Or maybe the tax is going to go up. Or maybe someone loses their job, like the Obamacare thing, right? You've got to provide all this health care to people unless they work 30 hours a week. Okay, we'll just make everyone part-time, right? It's easy, right? So then people go from full-time down to part-time, but they don't, they don't connect that, right? This is the whole problem of the seen versus the unseen, right? Taxes go way up. And maybe you would have gotten a job if they hadn't gone up, but because that job never gets created, you don't even know what you're missing, right? That's why you got to go on principle. So the Weimar thing where, you know, black is white, up is down, men are boys, boys are girls, women can have uh, erections and men can have babies and all that. Like all of this is founded upon fiat currency, right? So as as far as transgender bathrooms go, people can put in transgender bathrooms if they want to spend $50,000 to retrofit their restaurant. But if you're not signing the check, it's just easy like... To me, when somebody doesn't have a personal stake, I don't care what they say. I don't, I don't, like, it's just noise to me. Like, okay, like you, you can have an opinion on Syria. (laughs) Listen to your opinion on Syria, right? But people who are just like, yeah, we should stay there because, like, they don't know what the hell's going on with the Kurds. Come on, I don't. (laughs) You know, like, they could be decent guys. They could be bad guys. I don't know. And the good news is I'll never know because nobody's going to tell me the truth because everyone's too vested in it, right? The military industrial complex wants to make money. Maybe Israel wants to take out an enemy. Maybe the Turks are bribing someone or maybe they're threatening to unleash their wonderful economic migrants on Europe if they don't get, like nobody's telling the truth about any of this stuff. It's all propaganda. I'm not there. I don't speak the language. I don't know the history and I don't care to learn. So that's why you haven't seen a whole bunch of videos from me on Syria. <laughs> like, I just assume everyone's lying. So the Weimar thing is, is kind of, and you see the effects of infinite resources on the corruption of rationality and limitation. Sorry, you were first. The perfect example of that, I uh, once worked for the largest government agency in my state that provides health care to the poor. So my job actually depended on largesse, debt, court, and all that. Yeah. But yet... There was another attorney that I worked with. We were both supervisors, which means we were in charge of people. And one day she just pipes up out of nowhere. It's like, I think all the kids in the state should have Medicaid. And at at that point, at great risk in my job, I said, okay, so exactly what tax rate are you willing to pay to make that happen? (laughs) You've got four kids. I know you've got four kids. How much food are you willing to take out of their mouths to make that happen? And then I, I got just spluttering nonsense in response, which is the only response, because the whole underlying principle is nonsense. And do you know what the subtext was or the, the captions? Oh, I'm Get the fucking banana. banana. Don't <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's, but that's real, right? I mean, so she can say that, like, who would say no? Because she's got the mindset of infinite resources, right? And listen, I mean, for... for it's, it's magical thinking, and listen... <laughs> For, for the evolution of women, that kind of makes sense, right? Because they're not out there wrestling with the wolves to rip off its leg to bring home for dinner, right? I mean, they're, they're doing some gardening, which is nice. You know, we need some veggies, uh, need some, some fruit and all that. And, and, you know, but they're not out there trying to take down a, 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 an elephant with a mascara applicator or whatever, right? So, so no, that's fine. So, so the women are like, hey, just get me more resources, right? And then they, they withhold sex or they nag or whatever. It's basically like the young women withhold sex and then the older women nag. That's the difference between, <laughs> right? That's, you know, and this is kind of like, it's, it's, so one is a positive reinforcement, you get sex, and the other is I'll stop nagging you if you do what I want. Now, my wife accepted, lots of women accepted, but that's a bit of a pattern. 
Yeah, yeah, so children will whine and nag until they get what they want. And listen, women are, are smaller, they're weaker. I think that that's implicit, like we don't need to add that. I don't think anyone made that connection. And the fact that you did, well, we'll talk after. Um, no, but, but this, is why, this is why women tend to go a little bit more left, because they're used to just saying what they want and men run around to, to give it to them, right? Because, because we want to reproduce and we want to have you know, comfort and sex and companionship and all of that. So, so for women to say, I want, and then expect the world to provide, I mean, I completely understand it. I don't consider it a fault. One thing I didn't talk about in my speech today is I know that there's negative views of women can kind of float through the, the, nanos, the manosphere here a little bit. Not here necessarily, but there is that stuff. I'm not just talking about the big tower guys, all right? But to me, the way to look at femininity in the modern world is, not, is to understand it's not femininity in the same way that in the Soviet Union, like full-on Soviet Union, like Stalin, not even Khrushchev, like Stalin, early 1950s or whatever, right? There's some factory out there supposed to be making some shit, right? And you know the old saying in Russia, they pretend to pay us, we pretend to work, right? So there's no incentive, right? The incentives are completely screwed up, right? Like if you run a restaurant under Stalin, you get paid whether customers show up or not. So customers are an annoyance. Seriously, like you're sitting there playing cards with your fellow waiters and some customer walks in and you're like, ah, shit. I had a good hand, man. I've heard this exact same stuff from my parents because they came from the former Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah. So do we look at the waiters in a, in a communist restaurant and say, those lazy bastards? No. They're simply rationally responding to the incentives in their environment. Now, women, current women, did not create the system that we live under. They're not responsible for it, neither are we, right? So women, we say, oh, well, they're cold or unempathetic or they divorce on the... But that's like calling the Soviet workers lazy. They're not lazy. They're rationally responding to the costs and benefits incentives around them. Human beings respond to incentive, foundational principle of economics, right? So women are not cold or lazy or what. They're just rationally responding to the incentives around them. And you could say, ah, oh, yes, but... We should, they should have higher ideals, and it's like, but yeah, that's like saying, well, the waiters in a Soviet restaurant should just be working hard and providing good service. It's like, yeah, well, but they don't. And, why, and you know, would you? I mean, <laughs> like if you're running a restaurant and it's your ass on the line, and it's your credit that's running the damn thing, if a customer comes in, you're like, thank you, thank you, thank you, right? I remember I got my first donation, a four-page email, you know? So, so it's not that women are, like, it's not... It's like saying that this, the soul of the, of, of the Russian and, and that this person is somehow in the communist environment. It's like, no, the environment is weird. The environment is, is coercive and, and destructive, right? Or it's like, if you've ever talked to your parents, maybe if you talk to people who come from totalitarian regimes, they're not very comfortable with disagreement. They're not very comfortable voicing their thoughts and ideas because they grow up in this mindset of like, you, you shut up. Because you say one thing wrong and you're Solzhenitsyn into a gulag for 10 years, right? Yeah. And it's like saying, you know, those, those people from Eastern Europe, they're kind of shy and jumpy. It's like, no, they're not. That's not the soul or essence of who they are. That's the environment they grew up in and the incentives that they're responding to. It's the same thing with women and men in the modern world. Yeah, it's gotten weird and distorted, but it's not the fault of women. And, it's, it's, and they're not bad. They're, not, like, they're just responding to... I, I can't do it. I just can't go and call people in a comment, oh, lazy. I mean, they, 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 sh they, they drink at work. It's like, isn't it boring how it is? You ever work retail when it's not busy? 
oh my God, I worked in a hardware store when I was in my teens and sometimes it was so slow, like a customer would walk in and you just need to get swarmed. It's like, please, God, let me cut a key for you or something because like, <laughs> I'll mix some paint even if you don't need it. I'll cut glass, whatever you need, Zorro style, you know, just anything because it's so boring. And, and masculinity and femininity, it's, it's just a, it's a weird system. You know, the, the divorce laws are all weird. The alimony child support laws are all weird. It's all terrible. And the rot of the cultural Marxists who set gender against gender just as they set race against race is, is in there. And we got to have compassion, I think, and sympathy. You know, I sympathize with the workers in the Soviet Union back then. I mean, wouldn't you? They've got nothing to strive for. They can't ever become wealthy. They're told what to do. They're told where to work. It's a horrible life. When you screw up the incentives for people, have sympathy for those people because they're getting all the wrong signals. You know, there's an old Monty Python skit about some Hungarian phrase book where the, the, it's all screwed up, right? So the, the, in Hungarian, it says, which, what is the way to the train station? And the way that they phonetically spell it out in English is, please fundel my buttocks. <laughs> and it's, it's funny, right? It's funny, right? Like, but that's, that's where it is. We've got this weird translation right now. I have, I have great sympathy for women. It's, it's a horrible system that they're under where they're lied to, they're misdirected, they're pandered to, they're praised. And the, the true horrors of the sort of post-40 lonely life are explicitly hidden from them. So you get all the wrong incentives, all the wrong, and it's everywhere. We don't see it as much because we're out of that bubble, but in that bubble, that's like gravity. So, you know, have, have sympathy for the conditioned, you know, there but for the grace of whatever, go you and I, right? Sorry, um, another question, Kwame. Yes. How do we sort of corrupt the education system? <laughs> How the education system is completely against everything we believe, and we can't overthrow it. But one of the things I've been thinking about, because I'm a lawyer by background, is how do we essentially... No, oh, I retract what I said about Joe Biden then. Yeah. Just the how do we manipulate, for instance, the Title IX system in American colleges to turn it against itself? Because it's actually right. written in a gender, in a sex-neutral way. Right. So, I mean, there's nothing stopping men from complaining that feminists create an unsafe learning environment. Well, or it's like the, the drunk consent laws or the drunk consent directives, right? right? That you cannot consent to sex if you're drunk, which applies equally to men as it does to women. Well... Um, do you ever see this? You're, you're not a young, young, totally young guy, right? So do you ever see this? It's an old Matthew Broderick movie called War Games. Yeah. You ever see that? You guys seen that movie? Yeah. All right. So basically the, the story is that the computers take over. Sorry, it's an old movie. So the computers take over nuclear war, and then there's an accident where the computers start attacking each other, but they're simulating it to see, and then they find out that you can't win that game because everyone gets destroyed. It's called mutually assured destruction, right? So, uh, so basically, when uh, you get a welfare state, you get too many unproductive people, too many people who can't function in a modern economy, and then what governments do is they say, oh, we got too many people, well, we're going to go to war, and we're going to filter out the smart people, and we're going to use the dumb people as cannon fodder, get them all killed, and we'll reset the system. That's the way it works, and that's why you get deferments for college, and that's why if you uh, perform well on your armed services test, they're not going to put you on the front lines. They're going to put you in some place nice and safe where you can do your thing without getting killed, right? Now, because of nuclear war, you can't have international wars where you can kill off your excess population. So that's why they're importing civil war uh, in terms of migration so that that's how it's going to work. It's really tragic, but I guess that's what they call progress. It's no longer international wars. It's now civil wars that they're promoting. But um, so 
in that movie, there's a long roundabout way <laughs> to your point, but in that movie, uh, the, the big statement is about nuclear war, funny game, the only way to win is? Not to play. Don't send your kids to college. Unless they absolutely have to for some professional designation. Like, got to be a, law a lawyer, doctor, whatever. For God's sakes, don't send them there for arts. Like, they are Marxist indoctrination camps. It will wreck your kids. Like, it is, it is an environmental toxin, especially if they're white and especially if they're male. Because they will either speak their mind, in which case they're going to get singled out, for social destruction, or they'll shut the hell up, in which case they'll be humiliated for four years and pay to do it. Right. Uh, don't do it. Or they'll get successfully indoctrinated. Oh, God, help them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, then, then you've got a real mess. Because then once your kids are, I mean, you've probably seen those things on the internet, like the girls before and after college, uh -huh. you know? It's like early Katy Perry versus that whatever white women can't be attractive shit they got going on now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, don't do it. Just kind of talking about what you were talking about. I, I dropped out of college about a year ago. Um, my dad's a professor. What were you taking? Uh, what was I taking? I was going to do business, but I didn't see my point because I just wanted to get into sales. I didn't see. Oh, yeah, you don't. Yeah, yeah. Just need experience for sales, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, I, my dad was actually a professor in college, political science. So he grew up going to college in the 60s and 70s. So he was really indoctrinated in the whole Marxist, egalitarian ethos that was, you know, college then and still is now. Um, so eventually I came to that and I ended up dropping out. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to major in philosophy, actually, but it was ruined for me in college. Philosophy is really rough these days. It used to be pretty good. Like, in terms of IQ, physics was the highest, philosophy was second. Yeah. But now philosophy has become anti-philosophy. Yeah. In the same way gender studies is destroying the concept of gender, right? It's all completely inverted. Yeah, and, and kind of what you were talking, I think what he was talking about before, the rise and fall of nations, um, I think Will Durant said it best when he said, um, nations are born stoic and die Epicurean. And I feel like we're in a very Epicurean time in the sense where we've gotten really comfortable. Only because of the state. The state is the key. The state, we can survive plenty if we don't have the state. Because what happens with the state you get excess resources, right? So when everyone's poor, everyone's poor, right? Like, I mean, the, the king of France lived in shit like the rest of them, right? He just had shit with wallpaper, right? And when you get excess wealth, you get a divergence, right? Some people become a free market, some people become wealthy, some people don't, for various reasons, some of which are controlled and some of which are beyond their control. So when you get that wealth disparity, the natural inclination is for people to say, well, that's bad, right? It's bad. But that's... Not bad. I mean, think of the music industry. You want the disparity of people who are successful musicians from people who aren't. Because if you go to karaoke night, <laughs> I like it, but it's not necessarily the case that everyone likes that I like it. Right? So, so you, you want that disparity. right? In the modeling industry, you want that disparity. You want the pretty people modeling the clothes and the less pr pretty people not. Right? So you want that disparity. That's, that's what success is. Right? There's a disparity, right? When has it been anything other than that? Well, under communism. Oh, no, communism, then you get political disparity, right? And political power. So, so what happens is, is you, if you don't have a state, then rich people end up having more kids, and poor people end up having fewer kids. And we know this very clearly from the example of the uh, Ashkenazi Jews in Europe. For 700 years, they can tell this from the lineage. 
because one of the things that's amazing about Judaism is to be a rabbi, you, I mean, you gotta be pretty, you gotta four languages, you gotta know the, you know, the Torah, like it's really complicated stuff. And they, they could see very clearly the rabbis had, the smartest rabbis had the most babies. And the poorest Jews had the fewest babies because no welfare state. It's charity, you don't want people to starve to death and all that, but what's happened with the state is it's inverted, right? So then you tax the smart people and you give welfare to the less smart people, on average, right? right? And there's lots of exceptions, but it's a big general trend. And so what, that's dysgenics, right? Dysgenics is, is, eugenics is bad as a government program. Dysgenics is bad as a government program, right? And so what happens is you end up with this vast excess of, of poor people that you then have to keep paying them to have more babies. Because if you stop, they're going to riot and revolt and they'll vote you down and all that kind of stuff, right? And this is the bull by the horns. Now in a free society, what am I ideal, a stateless society, you don't have that situation coming into being. People get wealthy and they can help people out charitably. People won't starve. We know that because when taxes go down, charitable donations go up every single time throughout human history. We'd like to help people. We're a helping kind of species. But in a stateless society, you can survive that. But in the government, in order to, for people to believe that the government is providing value, it has to create money. You understand? It's like, the, it's like if, if we're all ordering pizza, it's four of us, it's 20 bucks, right? And, and everyone has five bucks and one guy has a counterfeit, five bucks. Well, seems like he's paying five bucks, doesn't it? But he's not, right? He's actually reducing the value of everyone else's money, right? So the government, in order to pretend that it's providing value to society, needs to borrow, needs to print money. And therefore, it needs to control interest rates so that the effect of its borrowing and printing don't show up as inflation. So the government has to take control of the money supply and create massive debt and unfunded liabilities to give the illusion that it's providing value to the economy. That's why people say, the government will pay for this, free, free Medicare, right? all this kind of stuff. right? Now, that process corrupts the money supply and causes there to be more poor people. Right? You probably know this, that under Medicare, in a lot of instances, the health outcomes for people on Medicare is worse than people not on Medicare. Right, and a fair part of that is because uh, Medicaid at the state level, Medicare at the federal level, reimbursement rates are garbage. So doctors leave the system because who's going to go get $300,000 in debt to come out and do a $2 million surgery and get ten grand for it? Well, and, and that's the thing too, right? So this public choice theory is like if there's one thing you want to get across to people, it's helping them understand this that if you give money to poor, like let's say you only have 2% poor people in your society, you know, the old pictures, there's a guy in a cardboard shack and there's a big multi-rise building behind him. People say, how could this be, right? Just take a little bit of money from these super rich people, just give it to these poor people, we're done, right? But it doesn't work like that because people's behavior changes when you change the incentives, right? So you got 2% poor people, you pay them to be poor, well, you're buying poor people, supply and demand, there'll be more poor people. You, some woman says, oh, I've got a child out of wedlock, I need money. Okay, give her the money. If she solved her problem, then we were like, well, I don't need to get married. I could just have boyfriends and get money from the states and all that, right? So you change people's behavior when you change their incentives. So with, with free government health care, a lot of times health outcomes get worse because people are like, if I get diabetes, well, I'll just get my insulin shots. It'll be taken, like, as opposed to, like, if you've got health insurance and you start to become pre-diabetic, they're like, okay, your insurance premiums are going to triple if you don't deal with this in the next six months. And people are like, oh, shit, right? So free stuff generally corrupts everything because there is no such thing as free. It corrupts our mentality as a whole. So, yes, sir. So in this time of, you know, we're living in an inverted world and the platform is happening constantly, how do we preserve knowledge? Let's open that up. What do you guys think? 
Buy print books, hand them out. Buy print books, hand them out? Old school, right? Print books. Yeah, print books. Like the, if, if we talk about a second dark age, what is this coming dark age? Like? Intellectual dark age. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not going to be the fall of Rome, right? I mean, we've got a lot of knowledge and we've got a lot of um, technology and we're not going to lose the capacity to generate electricity. I mean, even if it's solar or wind or something like that. So it's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be as bad as like the fall of Rome where it was like massive depopulation and so on. But yeah, it's going to be rough and not everyone's going to make it across the canyon. But yeah, as far as how we preserve it, I don't have any particularly good answers uh, because, I mean, print is certainly going to work. For sure, um, anything electronic, it's, it's hard to say, right? Depends on the prevalence of electricity. And That's kind of my area of expertise. Go for it. I'm not trying to ask myself any, anymore, but uh, the, the, your technology won't last. Even on right build conditions, it's, it's got a lifespan. Anything that has electricity running through it is inherently going to be a little bit at risk for that. Uh, but print stuff will literally last thousands of years, which is over the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Mm. So that's, that's why I say print books and hand them out. Because uh, one, that's not traceable, right? Who I, like, yeah, they, they know I bought a shit ton of, say, if you wrote a book or whatever, I, I know you have. If I had X book, right? And X book is on Amazon now, right? But they don't know who I give that to, right? And mm. I've that with books in the past. You email a PDF and psh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's on the list, but they don't know who I physically give it to. And the last, doesn't need batteries. You know, it's not gonna corrupt. There's no Android operating system glitch, things like that. Can't be hacked and changed remotely. Yeah. Stefan, would you like to plug your book? Which one? Yeah. So I've got. Look, I've, I've got. I've got a bunch of books. You should check them out. They're except for one. They're they're all free. You can also get them on YouTube. You can get them on podcast. Uh, if you want to listen to them, I do the audiobook readings, and they're really good. So. Yes. So, we all know what's going on. More than we knew uh, ninety minutes ago. <laughs> Is it really only 90? Holy crap. You know, it, it gets uh, depressing to yeah. mildly to, to, look, to have your eyes open, to look at all this stuff, to feel powerless. Like you're saying, and I don't think you're really wrong, it, you know, the train is so far down the tracks. What can we do? Yeah, I hear you saying, you know, I hear people offering, uh, you know, some glimmers of hope. But, uh, yeah, my answer but, to this well, is, look, we know, we know what happens if we don't do anything, right? We know what happens if we don't do anything because we're the ones who have to keep the flame. Like, we are the ones who know. We are, for want of a better phrase, the high priests of our historical achievements. So we know what happens if we don't do anything. Now, do we know what happens if we do stuff? No. But it's got a chance, so we have to talk. See, you never know. This is the funny thing, right? You never know. Like you could take a handful of seeds and you could hurl them out of an airplane, right? Most of them are just going to fall on a parking lot or like in a sewer or something. But that one could land on just the right spot with just the right light. You never know who you're going to inspire, who's going to have incredible resources, incredible charisma. Who knows, right? It could be some kid of a rich person. It could be someone who just has such astounding talent for communication that they're just going to blow the world away. Right? So you never know. And it may not be someone you talk to directly. You may drop a seed with someone they drop. You don't know who's out there who can do amazing stuff and, and can enlighten the world, right? I mean, I'm not putting myself in that specific category, but you know, like I 
the drummer for Rush was a big fan of Ayn Rand. A friend of mine liked Rush, although I was more of a Pink Floyd guy myself because I came from a bad household. But um, <laughs> So like, I start reading that stuff. It moves me on to other stuff. I start with self-knowledge. I do therapy. Like Just one little, one little guy pounding skins on a concert hall like, inspires someone who inspires me, and now I got 650 million views and downloads. It's, you know, it's having an effect. Now, if I hadn't... See, here's the thing, too. Can you live with yourself if you don't do anything? <sighs> ah... It's tough, man. I get terrified. I, I, you know, I look at, uh, you know, the character assassination, cancel culture. Yeah, yeah, it's scary. It is scary. Stuff, and I, I think, you know, should I, should I, even bother fighting this fight, or should I just fly under the radar, say everything's fucked? But here's the thing, right? What, what do your enemies want you to do? Just do the opposite. No, this is a big guiding thing, right? What do your enemies want you to do? Well, the enemies want you to shut up and fold up, right? For sure, because then they're unopposed, right? So like when I pick topics, <laughs> literally it's like what will drive the leftists and the Marxists and the collectivists and the tyrants most crazy? Oh, you don't want me to talk about race and IQ? That's the worst thing for you? Oh boy, you know, that to me, so that's my navigation. Now that's my, my gig, right, to, is to do that. And that's what I'm paid for by kind donors, right? So don't live under a bridge. But if your enemies want you to roll up and die intellectually, you can do it, just know that you're serving them. So let me ask you this. Are you afraid? You, you second guess your, yes. your, what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah, listen, I mean, I was on vacation and I got an email from, I think it was Kevin Roos at the New York Times, right? Now, I'm old enough that the New York Times, it's not such a big deal now, but at the paper of record, like it's a big deal, right? And, you know, when you get, I've never had a fair interview from the mainstream media outside of Hong Kong <laughs> and Poland, right? So when I got that email, I'm on vacation, and I'm like, oh, well, that's not going to be good, right? Now, I've been through enough of these that I know it's not catastrophic or anything like that, but I'm sitting there going, okay, well, he wants to have a conversation with me. So here's the problem. If I go and have a conversation with him, he's going to cherry pick, he's going to stitch things together. And I don't know about him particularly, but a lot of times people will just lie about what I said, right? And you can't, I mean, in America, the free speech has gone a little too far to the point where you just say anything about anyone, right? So, I, and I have to sort of sit, sit and think of this over. And I call some friends and I'm like, oh, should I do it? Should I talk to him? Should I not? And I ended up doing, like I did a show specifically addressing those issues and, you know, I didn't even send in the link and all of that. Now, that's not something I want to think about on my vacation, right? This is a complicated, it's a kind of complicated dance, right? I mean, they're going to write about you anyway, so you might as well have some say, but if you go to them directly, um, you know, he's a lot more experienced at interviewing people he wants to write badly about than I am being interviewed. It's like the, oh, I'm going to go in and take on those cops because, you know, I'm smart. It's like, they got a lot more experience than you do, right? So there are times, for sure, when I have been nervous, and there are times when I've been scared, for sure. And... I don't really know what to say other than it would be crazy not to be. And that's why we need the virtue of courage. Right? Why do you need the virtue of discipline? Because you don't want to do things sometimes. Right? You don't want to work out. You don't want to eat well. You know, I was at the buffet today and I like to face plant in a cheesecake and chew my way through three floors. Right? It'd be great. But I'm over 50. I can't hit you. Right? So, <laughs> so you need the virtue of courage because sometimes you're scared. Right? And it would be crazy, like the people who don't feel fear, they're not healthy, right? That is not, is not a healthy thing to not feel fear uh, as a human being. That's, a, that's, a, that's an indication of sociopathy or something like that, right? So you, of course you're scared, right? I mean, that, that's, 
Isn't that the army thing, right? Feel the fear, do it anyway, right? right. If you don't feel the fear, you're not going to last very long. And if you surrender to the fear, you can't get anything done. So, I mean, the fear is, is going to happen. And you also have to taste the successes, right? You know, like you climb a mountain, like one step, one step, right? And each step is a victory if it's an asshole of a mountain like Everest or something, right? Each step is a victory. So here's the thing. We, we I think, we set our victory standards so high that we're never happy. You know, for me, I could say, well, until no parent hits their kids and there's no fiat currency in the... Okay, well, <laughs> welcome to a life of, like, never getting any satisfaction at all, right? Whereas for me, it's like, uh, oh, I'm being suppressed, but I'm gonna now going to do these other things and I'm going to see if I can keep things going. Okay, good. Well, that's a big... Sometimes dodging a bullet is the same as landing a hit, right? Because you live to fight another day, right? So have in your life... Do you have one successful conversation with someone this week where they, that's a, that's a big victory. That is a big victory. Look at the patience of the people who decided to start infiltrating the institutions a hundred years ago. That's very patient people, man. They, they took, and for a long time, it's like, oh man, this is not going well. You know, capitalism's doing really well. And that's why the communists hate the 50s so much because it was very successful for America, right? So we have to have that level of incrementalism, patience, and happiness at what seem like small victories, but, you know, if we're all out there having small victories, that's one hell of a big victory. So that's my thought on that. Anyone else? Last question or two? Yes, sir. I was going to actually speak back to what he said about, you know, the feeling of powerlessness and what, what can't you do, but the flip side of that coin, inherent duality of the universe, all that, well, what can you do? Like, for example, if, if you believe, as I'm sure most of us do, that, you know, a couple of hundred trillion dollars in unfunded liability is not sustainable, <laughs> I mean, go figure, right? Mathematics, eight, eight corner of the universe. Well, so if you believe that, then what can you do to, for example, prepare yourself and your family for a time when fiat currency will be worth nothing? You know, take it to its logical conclusion. You know, it is the Myanmar Republic. It's wheelbarrows of cash won't buy a loaf of bread. So, you know, whether it's obtaining knowledge and skills for yourself that will enable you to feed yourself. Have a community. Yeah, in the yeah. event that that goes sideways. Even if all you start with is yourself and your family, and then you do the work of making connections and networking and finding other like-minded people here or, you know, and or close to where you live, it's, it's again, it's those... It's the small victories, it's the incrementalism, but um, the, the blessing of knowledge is also the curse, as he was saying, if we do nothing at all with it. Because, you know, folks who don't know anything, when the, when the train crashes, when the tragedy happens, you know, they're going to be like, wow, I never saw this coming. How are you going to feel? How am I going to feel? How are the rest of us going to feel if we look at it and say, damn, I saw this coming. I didn't do shit. And even if you don't think anything about yourself, are you willing to allow the people you love, your family, your closest friends, to suffer and not even have to shop at, at some of this? There's, I mean, there's a dark thought that I have sometimes, which is that I strive to overcome pity. In other words, I tell people as much as humanly possible, so if they don't listen, I don't have to feel bad. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is a serious thing. Like, if, if some guy's smoking like crazy and you say, you don't say anything, okay, he dies of cancer, you feel kind of bad, right? But if you spent, like, a long time saying, man, stop smoking, I'm begging you, here's a picture of some lung, you know, here's a picture of 
Bernie Sanders' conscience is the same thing, right? So, it's like disease. So, but if, if you've striven like crazy to help people and they've rejected and scorned and attacked, this is a bit of a Jesus thing, right? So, but, you know, not to put myself in, in, in a billion miles of that category, but if you've done everything you can to really help people and they have, you know, kind of scorned you and, and sided with your enemies and so on, then like when disaster strikes, it's like, uh, you know, I don't want to have regret. That's really, really important. I've, I've seen, you, you know, the older people in this room, like we've seen people who have regret, right? Like significant regret, the one that got away, the job opportunity that was never pursued, the, 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 you know, the divorce that happened because the guy or the woman didn't work on it and the lonely. Like we know people who have massive regrets and to, to live a life without regret is, is a very important thing. And if the shit hits the fan, which it will, if you've done everything you can to wake people up and they've refused to wake up, you know, at some point, you've got to jump out of the plane, even if people are going down, you know, and you've got to, even if there are enough parachutes for everyone, you say the plane's going down, if people want to sit in their seats and, you know, like you've got to get out. And, and if you've tried, not having that regret, I think, is really important because we're going to have to be cold-hearted at some point because resources are going to run out. All right. Well... Why don't you guys uh, take a short break before the next one? Thank you so much. That was a really, really great afternoon. Thank you. Thank you.